Good morning. We came to Oak Mountain almost 13 years ago, and my mother, who I hate, I hate that you didn't get a chance to meet my mother, but she died about 12 years ago. And I was able to go to her funeral, and I was able to stand up and say, my mother loved me best. Yeah, I got a pretty good kick. I got a, a pretty good laugh from everybody there. And here's the reason why. My mother would look at all of us kids and whoever was standing in front of her, she would say, I love you best. And so we used to get a big kick out of that. We'd tease her and say, mama, who do you love the best? And it was always the one who needed her love, her affection the most and or whoever was right in front of her. So I've been trying to carry on that tradition a bit. I want to try something real quick. Hey kids, who loves you best in the whole wide world? That's it. <laughs> I've been training these kids from before they were able to talk to say that, that Papa loves them best in the whole wide world. So I know what it means to be a favored child. I have experienced the affection of my mother, the love of my mother, the love of my family, my kids, my grandkids. And so I know what it means to be favored. But there can be a dark side to being favored. We can experience self-absorption, an entitled attitude narcissism, where we think the whole world revolves around us and, and we become the center of the world. The Old Testament people of God had a similar challenge. They were favored by God. They had been uniquely chosen and blessed by God and intended to be a blessing but it was easy for them to make all of God's blessings all about themselves. And we have a similar temptation as well, where we may be, we have blind spots and God has graced us and we begin to make all of God's blessings about us. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 19, and we're going to, I want to invite you to stand to read and hear that and ask God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and understand his perspective in his heart. Isaiah 19 verse 16. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the land of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness of the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. 
When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing And they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And I want you to listen to these words and think about how an Israelite would have heard these words. In that day, Egypt, I know, excuse me. In that day, Israel will be third, will be third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would come, that you would meet with us, that you would give us understanding of these words. And Father, where we have blind spots, where we have begun to hoard your gifts and your blessings, Lord, help us to see and understand that. Meet with us now by the power of your spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. may be seated. We're going to consider this passage in three points, asking that the Father would give us eyes to see, that he would give us ears to hear, and that he would give us a heart to respond. So point one, eyes to see. What do you suppose from this passage that the Father longs for the Old Testament church to see? You see, this passage to the people of Israel would have been shocking. The Old Testament church truly had been the favored child of God. He had chosen them, not the largest, not the most significant nation. He had chosen the people of Israel, in some ways the smallest. They were insignificant and he lavished upon them his blessings. He gave them his presence. He came and dwelt among them. He gave them his covenant promises that he would be a God to them and they would be his people. He adopted them. He covenanted to love them, shower upon them his protection and his blessing. He gave them the promised land. He dispossessed their enemies from that promised land. He went before them and fought their battles for them. He illustrated his constant presence with them by a pillar of cloud during the day as they, he led them through the wilderness and then a pillar of fire by night to let them know he was with them and he guided them. And then he worked miracles. We could go back and remember that They walked through the sea on dry land. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. 
they were so favored of God. It would be easy to think, man, it is all about us. But when God first made his covenant with Abraham, he said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. He says, in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And you think, okay, that was sweet that he said that, that they would be a blessing and then moved on. No, he said it over and over and over to the people of Israel. In chapter 18 of Genesis, in chapter 22, in chapter 26, in chapter 28. And I could go on and on. Those are the places that he says, in you or through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then there's so many other Old Testament verses where God says he commands his people to proclaim his glory to the nations, that they would come to sing of him, that they would come to worship him. God constantly put that before his people. And so when Israel heard these words from the prophet Isaiah, in that day, Israel would be third. It must have been mind-blowing to them. The way they should have heard that is, you will be third in that day, a blessing to the nations, and you will fulfill the destiny that I originally intended for you. The blessing on the people of God continues. It hasn't come to an end. They're still the chosen people of God. They would just be among the people of Egypt and Assyria. God is not saying that he has rejected them, but that they would be a blessing along with others. In Isaiah, in this passage, Isaiah says that God would shake his hand over Egypt and cause terror to fall upon them. I picture the uh, Israelites going, yeah, we want them to feel the terror of God. They subjected us to bondage, to slavery for 400 years. That's exactly what they deserve, the judgment of God. And then God goes on to say, yeah, I'm going to cause them to fear. I'm going to strike them, but I'm going to strike them to heal them. What I think the prophet Isaiah wants the people of God to understand is that he is king and he is worthy of allegiance from all the peoples of the earth. There's a sense in which The people of Israel should be excited that the people of Egypt and the people of Assyria would come to worship God as he is due to be worshiped. He goes on to say that it's not just going to be a few people in Egypt. There are going to be five cities in Egypt, 
thousands of people in Egypt that would worship God. God's covenanting with him. He will post a pillar at the edge of Egypt. There will be an altar. And then he talks about there will be five cities. And one of those cities will be the city of destruction. And there's actually a play on words in the Hebrew that God would tear down idol worship. That's what it means, the city of destruction. The city of destruction is play on words that the the god Ra was originally worshipped in that city, but it would be torn down and the god would be worshipped there. These people who were their enemies would be the people that worship the living God. God wants to reveal to the people of Israel to challenge their hearts. Is your heart aligned with my heart? He goes on to say that in that day there will be a highway, a highway between Egypt and Assyria for generations and years. Israel was sandwiched between Egypt and Assyria these great powers, and they had struggled throughout their history. And God says, there'll be a highway. What does a highway represent? There would be commerce. There would be freedom of travel. There would be community. There would be support. There would be a free exchange of ideas. And then he goes on to say that the people in Egypt would be speaking the language of Canaan. They would be speaking the language of the people of God. Michael O said a couple of weeks ago, God is seeking for his people to be 100% aligned with his heart for the nations. Isaiah paints this super dramatic picture to challenge the people of Israel about their heart for the nations. Actually, it's their heart for the worship of God. God desires worshipers from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. God the King deserves subjects. And domain. I, I had an opportunity to share with the young professionals uh, last week. Think about it. How is a king's greatness marked? His greatness is marked by the extension of his domain, by the number of his subjects. If the living God only has a few people that honor him and his domain is the is just the people of Israel, the land of Israel, God's glory and honor is not that majestic. The king deserves to be worshiped by the peoples of the earth. So as you prepare yourself for Easter, as we move into through this Lenten season, I think it's a time for us to humble ourselves before the Lord and take stock. 
What is it that you believe God would have you see from this passage? What is it? What new understanding of the peoples of the earth and God-deserving worship? Do you long to see God worshiped by our Hispanic community and pray for Octavio and Rosie? Do you pray for God's glory to be put on display in Fairfield through the ministries of Urban Hope and the other partner ministries in Fairfield? Do you long to see international students in our community come to know Jesus? Or as we just prayed for Toronto, the the works in Canada in Toronto, in London, in UK, in Athens, among refugees, in Japan. Are you burdened to see Jesus glorified and honored in those places? May we see with greater clarity the Father's heart for the nations. And may we be moved by that. Now let's consider ears to hear. What do you suppose the Father was longing for the Old Testament church to hear from this passage? Again, he begins in this section with a section and the first paragraph is about fear. And he says, the the Egyptians will be like women. There are not a lot of women in my life who are fearful or have that kind of uh, fear. But anyway, he's going to strike fear in the souls of the people of Egypt. As I read that, and as I was thinking about this passage, I thought about all the ways that the people of Israel had been people marked by fear. They feared that they were going to lose their nation. They feared that they would lose their kingdom, that they would lose their land. They would lose their freedom. They would lose political clout. They would lose influence. They would lose their national identity. And you might be thinking, well, that's an overstatement, Tom. But think about John 11, where the high priest Caiaphas says, It is better if one man dies than we should lose our whole nation. They they operated in fear constantly. Their hyper-focus on protection, on provision, on safety and security, is it possible that it ended up robbing them of the ultimate safety and security and protection that they actually sought? That safety and security that they wanted Could it have been an idol? It's interesting. They worshiped the all-powerful living God. They had no reason whatsoever to fear. God actually deserves to be worshiped by the Egyptians and the Assyrians, by their enemies, more than they deserved safety and security. It was the Father's desire to extend mercy and grace to the Egyptians. It was His desire to strike and to heal. It was His desire for them to know Him. His desire 
And I love that, that phrase in that, in I think it's verse 20. He wants to send them a savior, a defender, a deliverer, such as the heart of God for the enemy of the people of God. There's this sense in which God is celebrating that the people of Egypt would worship him. That there would be five cities and that would just be the beginning of this nation beginning to worship the living God. Bob often talks about the saving work of God. Is, I, it's easy for me to make it about me or for us to make it about us. And I love how Bob says, you are chosen and you're loved. It is about you, but it's not all about you. What was the result when Egypt and Assyria worshiped God? Safety, freedom, and joy. That's what that picture, that highway pictures. You see, they, they wanted protection. God wanted the gospel to go forth. When the gospel went forth and when there was a highway, there was safety and security. Not in self-protection. I was distressed a number of years ago when the governor of Alabama said that there would not be any refugees, uh, Syrian refugees settled in the state of Alabama. And I talked to a number of folks in our church who were happy about that, who celebrated that, who encouraged that. A lot of churches around the state were up in arms that we would, let's not let Muslims into our state. Birmingham is now the largest city in the United States without a refugee resettlement program. That was motivated by a desire for safety. And we, I fear, have missed out on an opportunity to, to minister the gospel to the folks who are most desperate to hear and receive the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we have been privileged. We have been graced. Let us not allow appreciation for those things to blind us to God's true heart for other peoples. He longs to be worshiped. He deserves to be worshiped, even by his former enemies. Is your heart aligned with the heart of God? And I think that is a question that we all need to hear, we all need to wrestle with, we all need to consider. And let's look at uh, the third point, a heart to respond. Given all that's been said, what heartfelt response do you suppose the Father was looking for from his people? I think the first would be humility. This is shocking. And I think there's a reason God used these shocking words to challenge his people. That they would understand that they didn't possess a passion for the glory of God among the nations. 
as Piper so well says, so often says, I think we too need to be humbled and to consider and wrestle with, do we have a passion for God's glory among the nations? We have received God's grace. How is it that we can't, how is it that we could possibly not have compassion for people who have not experienced God's grace and favor, for those who are still in darkness? It's unthinkable that that would be true for us. I think the second call of God upon our lives is gratitude. We don't often think about this. You know, in America, we kind of favor ourselves as the new Israel, the people of God. We are the Egypt. We are the Gentiles. We are the ones to whom the gospel has come. We are double indebted to God's grace because his grace has extended to us. And we should be doubly passionate about extending that grace and mercy to others. And when I say to others, not just white, suburban, upper middle class Alabamians, and I say that to you, not to judge you, but to, to acknowledge my own heart. I am quick to look at someone and say, oh, I think they're probably deserving of God's grace and favor. Judging them by their externals rather than having God's heart of passion and compassion for them. I think we need to stop and take stock of the privileges and graces that we've received and how we might minister those graces to others. I'm going to be really honest with you. Uh, or maybe I should say I, I have a confession to make. When Bob a couple of weeks ago said that 77% of Oak Mountain had not given $1 to Faith Promise last year, I had a hard time with that. <laughs> that was a gut punch to me. And then it took me a minute, took me a minute to calm down, took me a minute to think about that. And I realized we, we have a generous congregation. We have folks that are giving, God is raising up and sending our very own out. And I know many of you support them directly. But I, I do want to ask this question. I think it's a real opportunity for us to take stock. Are my priorities, are my values 100% aligned with the Father's? Are there ways that I could or should be more engaged with what God is doing kingdom-wide through Oak Mountain? And finally, I think from this passage, the Father longs for us as the people of God to have a heart of celebration, to celebrate the nations coming to know and love the God who has known us and loved us and sought us and to rejoice. 
I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, no, 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the day of the, the coming day of the Lord. We can hasten the day of the Lord. We can wait for it, but we can also be all about hastening the day of the Lord through praying for those who do not know Christ. As Bob prayed earlier, giving, going, engaging with God, he is worth us giving ourselves completely to see all who do not know him come to love and worship him. I said to you that it was, a, it was a really good thing to know and be loved by my mom. She loved well. Her love is of no comparison to the love of our Father, the living God. You and I truly have been favored The fact that God the Father would send his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus would every day of his life live in perfect obedience for you and for me. That he would submit himself to be nailed to a cross to suffer the punishment that was due for you for your sins and me for my sins. And then... I didn't, I didn't come happily clapping along, glad that God saved me. No, he chased me down. I was a rebel against his grace. And he wooed me to himself. He brought me to himself. He pursued me. And if he has extended to me such love and grace and mercy, how can I not expend every? part of my being seeing to it that others over the pew there are folks right here that don't know Jesus and we need to pursue them and love them and pray for them and see them come to know Christ over the mountain no over the pew over the fence over the mountain overseas May it be that we would spend ourselves and our resources to see Christ's kingdom come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenging passage. Lord, I pray that we would be so enamored by the love that you have for us that we would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me over the, over the pew to love and care for those here who do not know you. Over the fence, Lord, to have uh, intentionality as we pursue those of our neighbors who have not yet experienced your love and your grace. And Lord, over the mountain, to go into the city with life-giving, the life-giving gospel of Christ and overseas as well. We commit ourselves to you and pray this together in your name.
Amen. Let me invite you to stand to receive the benediction. Every Sunday morning, we sing these words. Where are those words? <laughs> we sing faultless every Sunday morning. And Bob teases me. It is, it is not a benediction. It is a doxology. But I want to pronounce a doxological benediction over you. <laughs> Please receive it. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne of grace with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glory and majesty, honor and dominion now and forevermore. Amen.